Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Welcome to episode 119 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. My name is Jack Rico, and today I will be talking about Men in Black International with none other than film and culture critic Mike Sargent. Now, um, you, what you're about to hear for the next 25 minutes, this conversation that I have with Mike, essentially is a deconstruction of the film, but it's also much more than that. You know, one of the things that I like about Mike and I is, look, Mike has made films, documentaries. Uh, he's produced, directed, written. Uh, he's one of these incredibly versatile people. And conversations with him are always so enjoyable because you're either learning something or you're understanding a subject better. I think a lot of people seem to like him uh, and us having conversations. And even though this is Men in Black International, it's really about culture and how that culture reflects upon us, our tastes, you know, what we like and dislike. So uh, for the next 25 minutes, enjoy this conversation for Men in Black International. And it's time for the one and only Mr. Mike Sargent. Mike, how do you like that intro? Thank you. I like that. I like that. It's almost <laughs> as good as my intro for you. <laughs> See, you got the Jack Rico thing on lockdown, but yes. I don't have the Mike Sargent thing on lockdown. I think well, it's time for me need, to. Well, here's what you need. All you just need is some applause sound effects. <laughs> I'm going to add it. I'm going to add it. So oh, okay, okay, it, it's okay. definitely happening. It's definitely happening. Hey, man, uh, thank you so much for coming in. If you guys uh, are tuning in for the first time to the podcast and you don't know Mike Sargent, how dare you? The audacity. Uh, Mike is a film and culture critic. You can uh, hear him on WBAI radio. You can also see him on TV. He's on Fox Business News with uh, Maria Bartiromo. Uh, he's, uh, you can also see him uh, on the PBS NewsHour for those very special moments about film and culture. Um, how you doing, Mike? I'm all right. Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Uh, a little disappointed uh, that we're starting off the summer the way we are with movies. Oh, are you talking about Men in Black, the one we just saw? Is that what you're uh, referring to? Uh, I could be talking about Men in Black. I could be talking about Dark Phoenix. I could be talking about, you know, unfortunately, I could talk about Hellboy. I could be talking about at least three or four reboot sequels that have been totally underwhelming so far this year. Well, we'll definitely talk about the maybe fatigue of sequels and reboots uh, that we've been watching and nothing really creative or original. Uh, but we'll get to that in a second. But let's talk about Men in Black International. Mike, I ask you, did you like the film? 
Well, let me give it a little bit of context here for my, first of all, the first three uh, Men in Black films, and Men in Black is a series that's based on a comic book series by Lowell Cunningham. And, you know, this comic book series, it's interesting that you mentioned Ghostbusters. You know, a lot of comic books and video games are inspired by films. And in turn, then, when they make films out of something that was inspired by a film, it's sort of a bastardization of a bastardization of a bastardization. So, you know, there's always that feel. Men in Black was really not, the, like you said, it was not a super original idea, but but it, it blended certain things together into a nice, you know, idea. There's a secret organization. It's not just three Ghostbusters or four Ghostbusters. It's a whole organization that fights not ghosts, but extraterrestrials that are here to get us. So it was fun. Part of the fun of the movies was, the, and this is what I want to identify, what were the fun, let me ask you, what was fun about the first men in, three Men in Black films for you? For me, it was a sense that I was watching something like the Ghostbusters, and it was a, like like a template of something that I enjoyed. Again, I think you and I had talked about these recognizable formulas that aren't necessarily the exact image uh, of your favorite films, but when they come in a form where the DNA is kind of like uh, played with, but it still holds some of the essence, those are the, some of the things that I remember about the original Men in Black from 1997. Also, let's be honest, Will Smith kind of made that movie well, single-handedly. Not just Will Smith, but specifically the the chemistry between the stoic, you know, by the book, uh, Tommy Lee Jones character. Oh, hold on a second, man. Hello. Hello. Are you fucking kidding me, man? Telemarketers. <laughs> sorry about that. Go ahead. <laughs> well, you should keep that in. We could do a whole show on that. Anyway. <laughs> Robocalls. Uh, exactly. But um, so it was, you know, Tommy Lee Jones' stoic performance as, uh, what was he, Agent whatever he was and and will smith being the the seat of your hands always joking you know it was the combination of the salt and uh, the the pepper and salt the the oil and vinegar you know uh, yeah it was the odd couple and that's what we have here in the new one with chris hemsworth and tessa thompson i know they've been in thor and in the avengers but this is an odd couple he's well, massively huge he looks like a norwegian god and she looks like a New Yorker, you know, uh, both coming in together. And it just doesn't seem like they would be friends in real life or date in real life. And there's these romantic overtones between them two. And I don't see it. I, I don't see how those two are perfectly matched to make movies together and to bring box office attention to it. And I think that by the Thursday and Friday um, box office numbers, you're starting to notice it. Well, you know, I think that, that you, you said something key here. You know, you don't quite buy the romance. You don't quite buy the humor. You don't quite buy the chemistry. You don't quite buy the creatures. You don't quite buy the premise. You don't quite buy the threat. You don't, everything about it is sort of flat. You know, yes. it's amusing. It's amusing, but it never, A, it never takes off. B, you know, it just never quite comes together. The only, the strongest scenes in the whole film, and as a matter of fact, they felt like they were written by somebody else. So I don't know how much ad lib was done, but when Najil, I, I know I'm pronouncing his name wrong, but when when the, the little character he plays, uh, Pawnee, when the three of them are interacting, Tessa Thompson, Chris Hemsworth and Najil Kujani are, are interacting. It's great. 
it's funny. The dialogue, it moves. What they're saying, you're learning about the characters, you're learning what they think of each other. It's so much better than everything else in the film that you're like, wow, you'd much rather just see the three of them sitting around having a conversation than you would seeing this whole film. So here's something interesting about that, and I'm going to add to what you're saying. The name of the writers is Art Markram and Matt Holloway. And right, they who, who, had- are, who are credited as being one of the eight writers for Iron Man. That's right. And they also helped to launch the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So these guys know how to create an excellent action-adventure sci-fi film. This is sort of like their bread and butter. And the fact that these two guys, it's not one guy, it's two of them. And the fact that they couldn't nail this down really tells you the challenges that doing a reboot or a reimagination of something that we've already seen done better um, and the challenges of what that sort of like just holds. Uh, for me, this was a boring film. This was a movie that on paper was was box office hit, but that when it was executed, that's when you start having to like really understand and deconstruct the film to kind of find exactly what it was. It wasn't Chris Hemsworth's charm. It wasn't Tessa Thompson's seductiveness. There was just so many things here that weren't special. So many things wrong with this film. I mean, and I'm glad you mentioned, I just got to build on a couple of things. You know, let's just talk about the Chris Hemsworth character. First of all, he plays this character that you hear. He's this great, he's this great character. He's a great character. You see nothing about him that makes him this great agent. He's supposed to be a great agent. He's just an arrogant fool. Okay, who seems to be getting by on luck. Now, that would be okay if this was the first time we saw an arrogant fool who's getting by on luck who's really good looking. We've seen that character a million times. A million times. Played much better by actors with a lot more, and this is where I'm going here, screen presence than Chris Hemsworth. Now, Tessa Thompson. Now, her character, in my opinion, had a. Uh, I thought that was a really interesting storyline that, you know, I'm not giving away she much. She had a better storyline than Chris. She did. definitely. Not only did she have a storyline, but she actually had a character arc, which, right. but not much of one, because the character arc actually happens before she, she, you know, like by the end of the first act, you know, or within that first half of the first act, we see her as a child, we see her grow up, we see she wants to be one of the men in black, and like when she finally does, that's her she she fulfilling her dream. After that, it's just. They talk about things happening. They they talk about how they feel. And and talking about chemistry, you know, Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth, first of all, in real life, they're the exact same age, okay? Both born in 1983, okay? They don't seem that way. Tessa Thompson seems like 10 years younger. And there's a scene in the movie where she kind of is eyeing Chris Hemsworth, and you kind of feel like their relationship might be inappropriate. You know what I mean? Did, mm-hmm. did, did that did <laughs> yeah. it that way? It's like, you know, uh, they said she is, but she comes across so young and and sort of. If she's supposed to be, you know, in her thirties, she definitely doesn't come across as that kind of character in this film. And he comes across as somebody who's just past thirty-five, who's been living a little too hard, and he's still got his looks, but you can see he's starting to ruin him. Let That's me tell you looking. exactly what I thought the problem with this film was. They were Talking. trying to recreate the chemistry between Will and Tommy Lee Jones, but with Chris and Tessa, and it was basically the same kind of characters redone. And to me, one of the most curious and the, the, the sort of like the, the characters that I thought that were the most interesting that I wanted to know more about their story and their arc 
was Emma Thompson and Liam Neeson. Those two together would have been a lot more interesting than what I saw with Chris and Tessa. And they never had one scene together, did they? No, 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 not not one. Like it, one was in New York, Emma one Thompson was in London. And Leah, Leah and Neeson in the same film, and they never have a scene together. And they never have a scene together. And who knows what scheduling conflicts, or maybe it wasn't even in the script for them to, to meet. But script. let's really talk about it. Emma Thompson's having a bit of a renaissance. Um, Absolutely. Liam Neeson's been going through some controversy. All right, all right. The, the, the deal with what it was, and, and I do think it's left most people's minds, but what it was is that he was recalling, he, he played in this revenge film, and he recalled a time where he had a friend who was, was attacked by some black people, and he went off looking for black people to hit with a kosh. And and that was he got called out for that. And you know what? I, I, I don't blame Liam Neeson. He, he was trying to say, you know, we all you know, get caught up in stupidity. He's grown since then. This is 35 years ago. You know, I, I, I don't, I, I, it didn't make He had me to go defend him. himself on Good Morning yes, America with Robin Roberts. I mean, that's Listen, like, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. You know, that, that's, huge, that's putting huge. the magnifying glass on you. I agree. I, I, for me though, it, it, none of that affected my view of Liam Neeson. You know, I, I, it's like, I get it. You know, I, I like Liam Neeson for his work. You know, I wish every racist white person would outgrow it, but, <laughs> <All right. laughs> you know, but for me, you know, in this film, like you said, uh, like you said earlier, everybody's done so much better things that while you enjoy seeing them on screen, you just, you just wish. I just think they should have gone in a different route. Like, like it would have, it would have been great if instead of trying to replicate what Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones had done in 1997 and the years subsequent to that, it would have been fantastic if we would have kind of understood a little bit more about the agency itself, sort of almost like a prequel of sorts, as opposed to a sequel of sorts, um, where how did this come to be and where did Emma Thompson and Liam Neeson, who were the original OG Men in Black... Now, you know, that's really would make a much better film. Yes, that's this really, is what I'm that's saying. That's a much better film. Like, we see how they got started back in the 50s or whatever. Yeah, that oh was, my God, was, there you go. We can, been, we can write the story right now, dude. In this, I felt what makes a good sequel... Or, or what makes a good universe is one when you expand on the universe or you expand on the characters. This, by going to another country, that didn't expand the universe. I don't even understand the rules. There's so many things that happen in this movie that don't make sense. Mm -hmm. and, and it's just after a while, you just throw your hands up and you're saying, OK, it's not going to make sense. No, and it looks like they were just creating MacGuffins, which are devices, artificial devices in order to propel a story forward. Uh, that sometimes really are incoherent. And when you try to compare these films to maybe other films that are out there that are action-inspired, like, for example, the John Wick trilogy, uh, that's when you start really understanding how this movie just doesn't have the legs to create a sequel based on Chris and Tessa. There was nothing here for you to sink your teeth in and leave the theater... Uh, reveling in something special. There was nothing special here. And I still don't know if this is F. Gary Gray's fault. I don't know if he couldn't execute on the writing. I don't know if the writing wasn't good enough to be able to give F. Gary Gray. I don't know if the performances were solid enough to rise above it. I just feel like Chris needs to be careful because he's becoming very one-dimensional with his funny, sarcastic, self-deprecating, good-looking guy character. 
We saw it in the female Ghostbusters. I 100% agree. But the last great movie that I saw Hemsworth do was Rush. And I thought I didn't think that movie was great. I thought it was okay. And I'm not a He nailed that character down, man. I I, I was very impressed with him because I thought he actually showed some real good acting chops in there. Well, I think he's a decent actor. Uh, I think he is funny, and I think that that can be a secret weapon, but I think you're right, and I think he needs to take a page from Brad Pitt. I think he'd be better off doing more character roles and, and less leading man parts. I think he'd be better off doing some more ensembles and showing some things that he really can act. Because See, I would disagree not- with you. I think he's a leading man. I think a guy that looks that good-looking, because yeah, I was walking but- by, took a, I, I, he actually came out on the red carpet, and uh, I saw him, I took a video of him, and I'm just thinking, this dude's... This our our era's Brad Pitt. And I agree. And, I agree with and, you. And but. for me, the guy does have acting chops, except he's he's just coasting right now, dude. He's on a high of the Avengers. He's on a high of the Thor movies. This guy right now feels like he can't do anything wrong. Uh, he's married to an incredibly beautiful Spaniard woman by the name of Elena Anaya. Uh, I believe they just had a baby. He's a father. He just created a new fitness app called Center. Uh, it's amazing. This dude is so like floating above, you know, the 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 the, the ground that I don't think he really cares to challenge himself to evolve as an actor to get to the places where a Brat Pitt has gotten to, where Leonardo DiCaprio has gotten to, because. I don't think he feels like he needs to. This is my take. I I think he's a decent actor, and I do think he's funny. But I don't know that he can really carry a film. What do you think Thor is? Well, Thor, I think Thor, he had a lot surrounding him. To, to make Thor work. And it's sort of like Christopher Reeve. Christopher Reeve really never had another hit besides Superman, you know? Jude Law is another actor who I think is a great actor, but he, he can't really he can't carry, carry a film. A film. He, can't he did carry Alfie, a film. and Alfie ended up being a bit of a flop. The last thing I'll say on Hemsworth, I do hope he does a good job with the Hulk Hogan film. I I, I, I think it's an interesting casting choice, so I'm curious to see what happens Wait, so there. is that official? Because I heard that as a rumor. Uh, as far as I know, that's pretty official. Is that is that filming soon? Uh, I don't know if it's filming soon, but I know it's in development. It's, oh, it's Todd, man, you know, Todd Phillips. Uh, what? I don't what? know. It, I, I get it. I, big, uh, blonde. Uh, yeah, he could no, probably I grow know. the mustache. It's like the said, personality. I'm a Hulk Hogan fanatic. All right. I, I'm, I'm letting you know right now that there's things that maybe he can do, but... Hey, let me tell you something, bro. I don't know if he can bring that Hulkamaniac out of him. Um, he's going to have to bring something, the DNA and the essence of Hogan, of Terry Bollea, which is his real name, to the screen. And I don't think anybody can do Hogan except Hogan. That might actually be a mistake. Well, you know, it, it, to me, what I hear you saying is if he can pull that off, he will prove himself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If he can do because that that one is a challenge because you're playing you're playing a guy that's a currently still an icon in America. He is actually outside of the race racial things that 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 he went through recently. Outside of that, Hogan on screen has been an icon for 30 years, my man. And to play someone like that, that, that that's and if you flop, oh, man, I think his stock will take a cut because. Well, you know, you might be right. Maybe he, you know, because his next film is Jay and Silent Bob reboot. So 
I'm sure he had fun doing that. I don't think there's any reason for that dude to make anything challenging at all. I think when the money starts running out and the scripts start running out, you're finally going to see him do a Matthew McConaughey and head out into the indie market and start creating some really interesting roles. Well, you know, just coming back to Men in Black for a second, I have to say, you, you probably know this, and, and people who, who may not follow film like we do may not know, that originally this new Men in Black was going to be a crossover film between 21 Jump Street and, 21 and Men in Black. Jump Street. <laughs> so, uh, with Channing Tatum and, and Jonah Hill coming, reprising their roles, to me, that would have been a fun movie watching some characters we already like enter this world or find out you know peel back that layer the of whoa there are aliens and stuff that probably would have been a fun movie in my opinion do you think alien movies in the context of comedy still have weight and and a draw in today's era well, you know, it's interesting. I was just reading an article about Star Trek uh, and and the Quentin Tarantino. You know, Quentin Tarantino wants to make a Star Trek movie, and he uh, wants it to be R-rated. And, and someone was writing about it. It was actually, I read this in, like, Popular Mechanics. And they were saying how, you know, Star Trek doesn't need an R-rated, uh, you know, Star Trek doesn't need an R-rating. It's the last thing Star Trek needs. But one of the things they pointed out is how most movies that deal with aliens are kind of like uh, this, where you know, the aliens are coming to take over to destroy us. There are very few movies where the aliens like Close Encounters or, uh, you know, uh, E.T., mm-hmm. uh, uh, where where the aliens are actually benevolent. And that's that's a rarer thing. It's much more of a Hollywood thing to do it. And and I think you're right. I think how many alien invasion TV series and, and post-alien invasion TV series and aliens are coming movies and Fourth of July or Independence Day, it's like after a while, you know, yeah, aliens being here – either we're going to have a lot of fun with it, which this should have been, or you got to do something new. I thought these, I thought the aliens, they have lots of little cameos from kind of half baked looking alien creatures that are like, eh, you know, nothing really. I mean, we've seen, like you said, you've seen so much CGI can do anything. You know, know, I miss, I miss seeing the Rick Baker creatures and they were prosthetic. I remember the last invasion movie that really kind of like freaked the heck out of me was M. Night Shyamalan's Signs with Mel Gibson. I liked Signs. I liked Signs a lot. That was a movie that built up to the scene where the alien appears. And I still remember that moment where I think it was a little girl or even Mel Gibson himself was inside the house and they heard the alien outside of the house. And then you kind of just saw a sliver of him pass through the door. And that was enough to freak out the whole audience. Like to the point that they, a lot of them wanted to kind of like just walk out of the theater. They were so freaked out. And I think that today in 2019, that's kind of like what we're asking for. Give us some sort of realism that these aliens kind of exist. The New York Times recently had an article about these two jet fighters that finally confessed about UFOs they had actually seen. Sure. And there was even videos of it. Um, yep. So if you don't believe in UFOs at this moment, I don't know, man, but I think you can bring some of that real life headlines and kind of zoom in. Like, was these, was it what these jet fighters saw? Was it real? Let's explore well, it. 
You know, I, I'm glad you said that because you brought up really two really good points here, in my opinion. One, that, you know, if we're going to have a movie, okay, and this is one of the big flaws of the film, they keep talking about the, the alien threat here is the hive, the hive, the hive, the hive, they're coming, the hive, they're mm -hmm. evil, the hive, they're bad, the bad, bad hive. <laughs> it's like, okay, you never see, you know, you don't really know what the hive can do. You never really see the hive. There was never a anything. threat. There was never you any know, fear. You never really you never really understand the hive. I don't understand the hive. And so that, that was like this vague, vague threat that's out there. Okay. That's that, that, so if you're going to have a, a, a comedy act, sci-fi comedy, you got to make the sci-fi, the scary, the alien part, like you said, you got to make it believable or do like what I think one of the films to best weave reality and fantasy together was X-Men days and future past. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That was one of, that was an amazing film. It was amazing because it tied together things that it makes you like, hey, and it's a wink and a nod to say, yeah, you didn't realize it, but right behind Kennedy was an alien, you know, all, all these things that, were were fun and that's what now coming with your concept of like how did the liam neeson and and the um emma thompson emma thompson character you know become the heads of you know the men in black that's movie. what they should have done this should have been an origin and men in black film uh as a prequel setting up the will smith setting up and setting up the universe and setting so up the universe right so we understand it i wanted to ask you about f gary gray and where you see him as a director today after seeing Men in Black International. F. Gary Gray is a, a, a director who clearly can do comedy, clearly can do action. He, you know, doing Friday and, and, and stuff like that. And then doing The Negotiator, which was a lot of fun. With Sam Jackson. Jackson. So, so he knows how to do both. But I think it comes down to, to script. I think this was a flat script. I think he did what he could. But I think this – it was – it, they, they, there's a lot of money being spent here. When you watch the film, there's a lot of locations. I mean, the, the, for all the locations they go to, just the, 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 the budget for the crew, hotel, and flight alone could have made, you know, three independent <laughs> films that were really good. You know what I mean? Right. So, I, I think F. Gary Gray. Uh, I, I mean, I think he'll be okay from this. You know, I, I'm glad to see him working. I think he's he's a talented director, but I think he was a little out of his element here. I think to kind of wrap up here, Men in Black International is a film that you probably don't want to pay money for because you might end up being disappointed. Now, if you love Chris and you don't care if that dude is on his head gargling water and you'd see that as a performance for two hours and you love that, then you're a fanatic that you should go see that film. But if you're a moviegoer and you're going with your family and you want to you, you get a bang for your buck, I don't think that this is the movie to see. I, I think there's many better movies out there and there's many better movies that are going to be coming out throughout the year that you could probably save your money on and and maybe catch this one on TV or, or, or DVD. All right, well, and I'll, let me add to that to say that, you know, Men in Black was a comic book series for a long time. Uh, they had a cartoon series, you know, you know, so this universe uh, is, is should be pretty well established. You know, it's it's a shame that they didn't do more with the resources that they had at hand. So if you're a Men in Black fan, because the first one was great, the second one was a little off, the third one was back on track. But again, it did what you said, where it gave us the background of the character and, and we jump back in time and... 
that made it fun. It helped us understand today. Context is everything in these films, and they rarely used it to help the audience out. Mike, thank you so much. You can catch Mike Sargent on WBAI Radio. You can catch him on Fox Business News, and you can also catch him on PBS NewsHour. Mike, thanks a lot, man. Yes, thank you. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.